for tuning in to Mystic Witch. I'm your host, Blue. You can find out more about me at bluejunetarot.com. Mystic Witch is a podcast about magic, divination, and all things supernatural. Witches. Today we are here with Tommy Zadvidis, a New York native and longtime urban witch who first got involved in occult studies at 16 and began formal instruction in the craft in 2002 at Enchantments in New York City's East Village. He's a dedicant and devotee of the Welsh goddess Bronwyn, a deity associated with love and sovereignty. Welcome, Tommy. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm good. (laughs) Hello, everybody. (laughs) So my first question is, what is the magical tool you use the most often and how do you use that tool? That's an interesting question. I would say my imagination is probably a tool, I think. Um, it's, uh, it helps me sort of, it's how I sort of construct rituals. It's how I, um, get a sense of what I'm tapping into as a witch, as a pagan, like what kind of forces I'm invoking. Um, yeah, I I think, um, you know, I read somewhere by a, uh, one of my uh, favorite writers is uh, Caitlin Matthews. She does a lot of shamanic work in the Celtic tradition and she writes that imagination is actually could be considered a facility of the soul. Yeah. Um, as a tool that um, it connects the the rational mind that we have, and then also like what uh, you know comes from you know the spirit. Uh, the spirit's like the link to everything. There's a lot of shamanic traditions and witchcraft traditions probably talk about in a lot of different cultures of the world. Yeah, you know what's interesting about that is imagination. One hundred percent is a magical tool, and I think that um, you know in my intuition classes where I'm trying to get people to kind of open their third eye, we start with a creative exercise in embracing the inner child and opening up that imaginative ability. And um, honestly, I don't feel like if you can't imagine the spell you're focusing on happening, it's probably not going to happen. (laughs) Yeah, faith is a big like, part of that. So like visualization and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, visual, visualization as a, a channel to manifestation. We're, we're all taught that is, which is yeah, a hundred percent foundational practice. Yeah, hundred percent, super foundational practice. And I'm sure there's a million other ways that we use our imagination. Magically, one thing for sure, and a big topic that we're focusing on today with urban witchcraft, we have to come up with really creative solutions sometimes. So it really ties into this whole episode really well. Um, you have to you have to be able to come up with solutions to urban problems. So. Tell us a little bit about your path as a pagan witch uh, slash priest. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, I've um, been something of a long road. Um, I, Well, I was raised Roman Catholic. I guess I'll just talk about my spiritual path in general. I was raised Roman Catholic. I'm from a, uh, Italian, and then on my dad's side, as Polish-Lithuanian family, so both sides were, you know, uh, very well steeped in the Catholic tradition. And, and there's a lot of myth and magic in that branch of Christianity, as we probably all know, like worship of Mary and the saints. But um, I, 
in school, I always had a very deep interest in mythology, like, you know, the stories of the Greeks and the Romans and, you know, Zeus, like, wooing this maiden and wooing this maiden. And then, um, like, the different, like, the story of uh, Demeter and Persephone. Uh, okay, this is why it becomes cold is because uh, Persephone goes underground and she ate the pomegranate seeds and she has to stay with Hades. Like, um, you know, I was very interested in mythology. I, I also had a very just intuitive sense of like a higher power in the universe, um, some kind of higher force. I always like kind of believed in whatever you want to call it, the, the divine God. Um, and I was also, I, I was born on Christmas day. So I kind of had a sense of the magic of that time of year very early on as a child. Like we, we talked before about the divine child. That's sort of an archetype that I have personally, I'm very in tuned with. Um, when I got a little older, maybe like 13, 14, I, I got very interested in the Arthurian legends, like this legendary stories of King Arthur, like the legendary British king. And then, um, you know, around 16, 17, this is like, you know, mid-1995, 96, I think, um, you know, The Craft had come out, uh, you know, movie. <laughs> and then, um, hey, special witchcraft powers, that, that seems really cool. And then um, I, I had a bunch of friends that, uh, we just fooled around with Ouija boards, and um, a lot of weird things began to happen that were very odd, like very strange dreams and uh, things moving around in the night. <laughs> so uh, you know, um, you know, wandering on, wandering around like uh, Grand Village. That I think I, I had stopped because it's an old store in New York City, not in Shamans, but it was called uh, the Magical Child. Um, you know, like acquiring grimoires of you know ceremonial magic from like the middle ages where you could summon angels and whatnot like really heavy duty stuff <laughs> but then a lot of weird things began to happen and then uh, it kind of scared me off a little while from anything occult but then when i was 20 years old um the, the first um first girlfriend i ever had her, her brother was a witch and she kind of practiced a little and i was like the, the fascination with it never really left me <laughs> I was basically like, tell me what you know. <laughs> and then um, I, th I think for my birthday that year, this was like 90, 1999 or 2000, she bought me a, a simple Llewellyn, you know, I was like, are you a pagan at heart type of book? Like a introduction like pagan spirituality. And um, I read it and then I started, you know, it resonated with me very deep. Like I always had a connection with nature. Like I grew up near, um, uh, near one of the uh, New York City beaches here. Um, I was also a Boy Scout when I was like 13, 14, 15 years old. So, you know, I had camped out. There's, there's a couple of campsites near uh, uh, where I live. So I, I already had like in, a very strong connection with nature and the outdoors. So then um, I had, you know, a girlfriend had, she, like, like I said, she introduced me to the craft. And then I started acquiring, you know, little books here and there like Scott Cunningham, uh, Wicca, Guide for the Solitary Practitioner, and I would go do like little simple meditations and rituals in the creek near where I live. And then when I was about 22 years old, um, this uh, girlfriend of mine, she uh, she got her hands on the mists of Avalon. And then uh, I was, you, know, she, you might really like this book. It has Arthurian legend in it. And I read it and it blew me away. Like it <laughs> just resonated with me very deeply. It's sort of the... The feminist retelling of the Arthurian legend, like right. from the perspective of the the women in his life, like you know his mother Regrain, uh, his mother Regrain, his sister. Um, well, it's more gain than the story, but it's later. 
we know her as Morgan Le Fay in the more classical versions of the legend. Um, and um, it also deals with like the the divide between like the the, the old faith, the way of the goddess, and then the the the, the, the new religion, like the coming of the Christ in Great Britain. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, like it's, set, you know, during like, the fictional Dark Age period in uh, England. And then I, you know, I started studying like, really heavily. I started with the Pagan White Grove and Enchantments uh, in 2002 or so. And that was a basic like grounding um, in basic Wiccan practice. And uh, the, the the teachers who ran that course, they, they were also well steeped in, uh, you know, if you know, like the... Uh, Aliester Crowley's work, like and the the um the OTO, like the order that he helped create. So they kind of did a blend of traditional Wiccan practice with like 19th century, early 20th century ceremonial magic. Yeah. So I did that work for about a year. I, I received a formal dedication to the craft when I was about 23 years old. It was like June 2003. Very beautiful ceremony, like a blessing by the elements, and then. The priestess who ran that group, she was a theater, um, I think she was a theater major when she was a student, and she did a lot of, like, off-Broadway productions. This was um, Jezebel Anat, I think, I believe was her name. So, participated in that, received my dedication, and then, you know, I, I practiced as a solitaire uh, for a while. Then, um, later on, like, 2005-ish, I, I came across a novel... Well, it was a memoir by a woman named Phyllis Corot that she basically talks about uh, her journey into the craft. She was, uh, I think, a law student. She became an attorney, and then at the same time, she finds her way into a uh, Wiccan coven. So I read this memoir. It really uh, it was a cool story. And then, like, oh, gee, I want to find uh, another coven again. And then um, later on, I had met a woman um, – her name was uh, Lady Gwendra, who she was part of a, a Welsh tradition of witchcraft. You know, a woman that she was from California originally, but she was very involved in like the punk scene in, in New York in like the early '80s, and then um, in the early '90s she had gotten involved in uh, with um, you know, like I said, a, 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 a branch of traditional witchcraft that had a very strong focus on like the Welsh. Uh, aspect of, of a European mythology, like reading books like the Mabinogian and uh, the Arthurian legends. And so I studied with this woman uh, for about two years. And then I, again, I kind of went my, on a solitary path. And then um, later on, uh, made friends with a woman, I'm sure you probably know, Courtney Weber. She uh, was a theory major from Portland. And then um, we had a group of friends, the Novices of the Old Ways, I'm sure you probably know of. Um, and practiced with her, I want to say, from 2009 to 2014 or so. And that's kind of when I, uh, during that period, is when I, when I discovered uh, Bronwyn as a goddess. And when, when we, you know, Courtney and our other friends had, we had, did, did a collective dedication ceremony. Um, but at, during that period, it was like I, I really came into a, a lot of self-understanding about how these stories, like, related to my own life. So, yeah, it's been a very interesting uh, journey. Just a lot of reading, a lot of internal meditation, path working, or using whatever I could find to, like, uh, delve internally. Yeah. To explore my relationship to, like, the land and the divine. and Beautiful. To utilize that, yeah. Awesome. Um, so... <clears throat> 
I know one of your favorite subjects is the role of myth and fantasy within a magical practice. And I was wondering if you could tell us more about your perspectives on that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so when in, when in, when I was in my uh, the the enchantments grove, uh, one of the works that I was pointed out to read, I, I was told like it was suggested I read a lot of um, Carl Jung's work. He was the Swiss uh, psychologist. He was a former student of Sigmund Freud. So uh, Carl Jung, he as you probably know, he uh, did a lot of work involving. He did a lot, a lot of studying of astrology and you know uh, medieval alchemy and a lot of his work. And then uh, his whole concept about, uh, you know, the, the archetypes, these inner psychic patterns that all humans are sort of inborn with, um, that's one aspect of it. And then I also read a lot of, uh, like, uh, Joseph Campbell, if you know him, um, you know, he's the, the, the famous, like, comparative religion scholar, mythologist. Um, also, he's also a New York native, you know, um, guy from, I think he was from White Plains originally. Um, and he spent his life exploring all the, the myths of uh, all cultures all over the world. And his seminal work was uh, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. So that was a book I had read that really, like, resonated with me very deeply. And, like, we're all inner heroes on our own journey. And, like, it's sort of, you know, we're taught myths in, in school, like, in grade school or in, in, like, junior high. Like, oh, this is how simple, you know, people who didn't have advanced technology, like the ancient Greeks, they couldn't look up at the stars and see, like, okay, the Earth is turning, moving around the sun, and the axis is tilted. This is how they explained, like, you know, scientific phenomena. But um, I would say both Jung and Campbell, how they explain myth is a couple different ways. Like, like it's a way that, um, you know, human beings can relate to cosmic processes, cosmic forces that act in their worlds and forces that act within their own bodies and how they co-mingle. So I, I would say, you know, myth gives us a lens through which we can understand like the workings of the divine or the workings of, for lack of better words, the workings of the gods. And a lot of times when, you know, one of the, thing, one of the uh, uh, points that Campbell would make in a lot of his lectures and talks and a lot of his writings, like, you know, let the, understand the myth you live, you know, understand like where you fit in the collective dream. Like he says a lot that a myth is like the dream of a society. And, you know, when you understand like how a mythic, pattern plays out in your life, it, it kind of puts you in accord with, um, you know, like a, a, deep, a, a higher reality or a deeper reality or, more, or a more complete reality, a, a reality that's that's of a greater expanse than what's typically avail, available to us via our, like, five senses. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. Well, your accent is a dead giveaway that you are a New York native. Yeah. Um, and you're actually from Marine Park, Brooklyn, which is near the Rockaways. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your relationship to New York City's landscape? Yeah, absolutely. Um, as I said, you know, uh, Marine Park, it's it's a neighborhood. It's very close to uh, uh, Jamaica Bay. It's like a 10-minute ride to, the Rock, to Rockaway Beach. Um, out here near Beach Park, Fort Tilden. Um, I, I grew up um, very early with a consciousness of nature, despite living in this very, very large city. But I, I you know, I'm originally born and raised on like one of the outskirts. Um, so yeah, I had a consciousness of, you know, this is like a point of pride for me. I know um, like the Rockaways right now, like 
Breeze Park, Fort Tilden, it's very popular. But I, I have memories of those beaches when I was probably a baby, even like my earliest, you know, conscious experiences are, are with deal with these places. And, you know, I, my father, when I was growing up, he, uh, my, my family had a small boat and we would go out into the bay, out into Jamaica Bay and swim and fish and all this. Um, so, you know, I had a, I had a strong consciousness from a very early age about the land, especially like the ocean, the sea, the, the, you know, the tides and you, you could smell the sea air in my neighborhood on occasion and you see the seagulls. And then, um, you know, I, I was a Boy Scout when I was, you know, an early teenager, like 13, 14 years old. And I, I, uh, I also, near where I live is uh, Floyd Bennett Field, which was, I think it was New York City's first municipal airport. It's actually very big. It's well known in the history of aviation in like the 1920s and 30s, like Charles Lindbergh took off uh, one of his transatlantic flights here. Um, yeah, it's just a wide open expanse. It's an old air base, but there's campsites, you know, it's on, you can see the marsh, golf grasses, and there's tidal pools. Um, so again, uh, like I had a connection forged, like when I was 13 years old, at a very early age, you know, being in touch with, uh, just nature. And then, um, when I, you know, like, but like Central Park's really pretty, I, I would, uh, you know, just, various parks in Queens, like Forest Park or Alley Pond Park. Um, I remember when I was about 28 or 29, you know, someone, a friend of mine, actually the, 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 the girl that I was dating, I mentioned earlier, um, that got me into the craft, she, she said, you, you'd really like the cloisters, you should go up there, which is uh, Fort Tryon Park, so that's the northern, towards the northern tip of Manhattan, and um, it, it, it's... Uh, it was preserved, I think, by one of the Rockefellers, and it has a lot of, like, you know, old Revolutionary War sites. But it's a, you know, park that overlooks the Hudson River. It's very picturesque. There's a, you know, Cloisters is a, uh, a medieval. Uh, it's a it, his art museum focused on the the art and like sculpture of medieval Europe, and it's just in a very um, picturesque, like evocative place. You know, on the on the the. the on the shores of the river and it's like on, you can see the Palisades across the Hudson um, so yeah it, uh, and it's funny because you can see like even though it's Manhattan like you think of skyscrapers Times Square the World Trade Center but this, there are pockets of nature still in this on, on this island and then um, yeah this is when I was about 28 29 years old and then, then one of the covens I was in like the last one uh, we did a lot of rituals up in Fort Tryon, and then also at Inwood Hill Park, which is the last remnant of uh, old-growth forest on Manhattan Island. And um, legend says it's where the, the trade took place. There's a plaque marking um, the, the deal with the Dutch and the Native uh, Native American tribes, like the Lanape people, of, of when, when Manhattan was uh, quote-unquote bought. But uh, it's a very old, evocative place. It, 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 really, it kind of really spoke to me and then later on I would have some very profound experiences up in both these places so I um yeah my a lot of my life has just been like it, living in the city but I always had a very strong connection uh with like pockets of nature that exist in the city being raised by one and then finding one you know uh, on my own later in life, and it's actually funny because I would find out later my my parents they actually when when they were going on their first dates in like the early 1970s that's actually where they went. <laughs> a lot. 
so it, it like brought things full circle for me it was very fitting to discover these places but yeah I love how you said I was raised by one place and then found pockets of other places yeah mm-hmm. that's such a beautiful way to look at it like just being raised sort of yeah. by this like beach sort of like you know northeastern beach <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did, it's funny because I didn't, um, you know, I, I've, I've lived here all my life. I wasn't like one of the types that, you know, I was, I'm, I'm from Northern California or I'm from the Midwest. I'm going to come to New York and like, you know, have, follow a career or an art artist path. I was born and raised in this city. And a lot of times, um, you know, I, I kind of felt like, oh, you know, I wish I would have traveled more. I mean, I, I would for, for like leisure, but I, I wish I lived in other places. But um, I, I guess the gift of living here my entire life has been and having this like I guess affinity with the natural world and like being raised by it you know in a sense I was able to develop um, a very special relationship with the land around here yeah and I think also another advantage having grown up in such I mean let's be honest New York City is the most urban environment in all of the country. There's nothing yeah. like it in the world. And, you know, there are a lot of things that uh, as I came here, I realized <clears throat> there's just a lot of challenges to being uh, a witch in an urban space. I mean, listen, right now the train is going by. I can't even record a podcast without sirens and cars honking. But, you know, it's it's our star, the J train. <laughs> It's above ground and right outside my window. It's part of the charm, right, of Mystic Witch? Right, everyone? Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, you know, there have been many, many times where um, a spell I was working, you know, there's challenges no matter what you're doing. Sometimes it calls for an ingredient that's very rare or hard to find. Um, And and certain things are made easier living in the city. Um, Things are more accessible for sure. But most of the time um, when I do face a, a big problem it's I have to get really creative um you know to solve it so we're going to be listening to a couple of different witches with their urban solutions to magical problems and I was wondering if you have any that you would like to share with our listeners right um my my tips for for being an urban witch um one is very obvious try to you know go to go to parks go to go with this net go with this nature yeah. Um, it really helps to know the history of a place. If you, if you go to an you know an older site, um, which which is funny because New York as a city has a lot of um, there's like collective amnesia about New York City's past because so much of uh, you know you know progress you know advancement you know uh, to center for trade and finance and, and commerce like you know moving to the future. So a lot of New York's history is sort of neglected by a lot of people or just not acknowledged. Um, but you can go, you know, to, to places that you know I, I, that that have uh, you know some connection to. Uh, you know, uh, New York's past. Like, okay, Ninwood Hill Park, like I mentioned, there's the pl- uh, boulder with the plaque, you know, that's marking the trade, you know, and, and that would become for me like a very, you know, a uh, place of power, as it were. Even if it's just a legend, you know, 
that you know, a story can still resonate with you. That you know, you're in this natural landscape where there's you know it's an old growth forest, and then there's this story about like you know when the, the this clash of cultures and then the, the sovereignty of the the island itself you know, changed hands, as it were. It's just, again, going back to uh, uh, Bronwyn, the goddess that I, I primarily work with. Like, she's the embodiment of, uh, you know, sort of uh, the land the land of Great Britain. And then um, she's given away in marriage to an Irish king. And then it's so that the, uh, Britain and Ireland as nations, as countries, can, can live in peace and, you know, have a, a collective uh, union, as it were. But, like, you're getting in touch with, um, you know, where there's, there's sort of a... a, a, a a change in power or a, a, a change in hands. Another another place that's, uh, um, you know, in New York is very potent to me is um, it's if you know uh, Astoria Park, um, actually the waterway where um, the East River sort of heads into Long Island Sound. It's called um, uh, the the Hellgate, which or the Hellgate is the, the Dutch term, which basically it has to do with like where the currents of the East River sort of move out into Long Island Sound, and they were very um, it was actually a very uh, dangerous place to sail through when the Dutch like first arrived. And oh, hence the name. Yeah, like that, there's actually an old story I read in one of my old books that they they collected a tale. Um, from one of the native tribes, I don't remember the, where I found this in the, the actual text, but um, I think the, the the native peoples of this area, the, the Lenape, they, they, there was a tribe that there was uh, a portal to like the nether world or like an, other, an otherworldly place because of the ocean currents. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, isn't Rikers out there? Yes, yes. There's yes. a prison out there, everyone, too. So you want to talk yeah. about portals? <laughs> yeah. yeah, interesting place to have a jail, right? <laughs> I think Con Ed has a power plant there, and there was like electrical disturbances a few months back. I'm like, oh, okay. You want to stick a, a ton of voltage on top of an otherworldly portal, but yeah. <laughs> um, I think that's fantastic, you know, just connecting yeah. to nature on a regular basis, you know, yeah. trying not to pass by things. Um, excuse me, motorcycle, that's so rude. Trying yeah. to record a podcast. Um, yeah. Actually, the, the very first, um, the wand I use for, like, my circle casting and directing energy, I remember I was just, I was, you know, 20. 23 I think when I was very when I was just starting I was just walking to the park one day I would you know put a bag of some you know candles and you know incense whatever and then a, a, bre- a dead branch just dr- literally dropped in front of me like from a, lo- a local tree and I was just like huh and I looked down and I picked up this old stick and I took some purple ribbon and I dressed it very, very, very simple, you know, just a stick with purple ribbon on it, and it's been my wand ever since. So it's like an, you take an object from the land you're on and just use it, you know, take a stone or like, a, you know, an old stick. You know what? That's so real. I remember yeah. when I first started practicing, I thought I needed a cauldron and a chalice yeah. and an athame, and a, I needed all the tools. And yeah. you know how arbitrary all that stuff is to me now? I barely use yeah. any of it. You know, the thing yeah. I use the most, to be honest, is the butter knife that I have dedicated to scraping yeah. wax off of stuff. That's yeah. that's the magical tool I use the most often. Yeah. <laughs> My yeah. athame is way too pretty for that, and it doesn't yeah. really fit in the holes. 
anyway, that's what she said. So yes, use things from your your natural surroundings. Uh, they will present themselves to you. Connect to nature on a regular basis, and learn the history of your land. Those are really really yeah. good tips. Um, yeah. We're gonna hear from a couple of other witches on their urban solutions to magical problems. Stay right. tuned, Mystic Witches. First, let's go to Cleveland, Ohio, and hear from astrologer Catherine Urban on her take. So astrologer Catherine Urban, Urban, hello. I think that you might have some good takes on, you know, some magical solutions for urban problems. Yeah, so I think, like, one of the biggest problems, you know, of magic and everything in a city is that you are a little bit more disconnected to nature. But, you know, I think that that's where we have an opportunity for the magic to speak to us, you know, like, and just noticing like when nature kind of comes to life in that kind of urban environment. So like, for example, like looking for signs, that was always something that was really big for me in New York city, in a city where there's just a lot of energy and a lot of human traffic and, um, or I shouldn't say human traffic because that kind of <laughs> sounds like human trafficking. Um, <laughs> but like, I don't know. I feel like things just kind of come to you and that kind of makes it a little bit more special and unique and synchronistic. And so like I have found playing cards on the ground and it's like an ace of diamonds. Okay. That might be like the ace of wands in the tarot. So what does that mean? Or just kind of like, Allowing my, one of the things I used to do a lot in New York was just kind of like allowing myself to wander, kind of seeing where I end up and just kind of opening myself to the possibility of connection and signs showing up in my life. And that always, that always brought new discoveries. And I think that allowing yourself to kind of be in that creative flow is one place that we can allow, you know, the universe to speak to us. We, we become more open to it. Yeah. I actually have a huge collection of playing cards that I've been collecting for 15 years now found on the street. Huge. Really? But this is before, you know, obviously I started this before I was even uh, had any understanding of spiritual practices. And (laughs) it's just interesting that you mentioned that because I have a huge collection of cards that I've collected. Yeah. And that's because that's like one of the ways that the universe speaks to us is like things can just being open to things, the right thing being put in your path at the right time. And doesn't that, hasn't that happened to you a lot blue where it's like, you're putting it out there. Like maybe it's an ailment in the body. Like I want to heal, you know, for me, it was like, I want to heal my hip tension. I'm looking for this. I'm looking for something. And you kind of just put it out to the universe. Like, this is my intention. This is what I'm hoping to heal. And then things just start getting put in your path. Yeah, Um, absolutely. A hundred percent. I know recently, so I have a clear audience. So I um, have also like stress 
disorders. And so all of a sudden I keep hearing Rishi, Rishi and adaptogen. And I'm like, I don't even know what an adaptogen is. I don't know why I should be eating Rishi. And I look it up and adaptogens are obviously now I know, now I know that they really help you to adapt to the stresses in your life. So it's not an accident that I was hearing and noticing these words jumping out at me. And so now I'm starting to work with, with these as plant medicine. And so I think that, you know, that can happen in an, an environment that is like more urban where like, yeah, you might not have like a forest in your backyard where you can go foraging for some of the specific herbs that you're looking for, but things will pop out to you maybe in the store or at the farmer's market, things will pop out at you. Yeah. And, and it's just noticing that, that intuitive voice that is talking to you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Catherine. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Next, we're going to hear from Joseph, co-owner of Botanica Macumba in New Orleans, so he can give us his take on all of this. So, you know, uh, a lot of people try to, they really, they really try to worry about what plants they're using or, or what herbs they're using. And oftentimes the best things to use if you're in the city uh, and you're working magic for you for your life in the city is to use the stuff that's growing there, you know, um, whether it be the, tr- the, the leaves of whatever tree the city has deigned to plant on, on your street, uh, whether it's the weeds that are growing through the sides of the, of the sidewalk, um, these plants are, are going to be be a little bit more powerful for you because they've they've been growing in the same uh, harsh conditions and the same um, <clears throat> the same roads that you take and are trying to you know influence when you're when you're doing spiritual work. I always try to make sure that, you know, even if I am using stuff that is, you know, imported or dried, that I'm incorporating something that is alive from from the natural surroundings that that I find uh, myself in. Uh, That magic in in New Orleans and and New York, trying to find the finding the um, finding the right herbs for for your for your magical work is important. But but using the stuff that is living and growing in the same environment. Um, that you're also trying to spiritually influence is really important. Um, and also seeing the same, like your nature through, uh, the nature of, of the plant is, is also a, a helpful magical device. You know, um, this oftentimes, you know, the plants that are growing in inner city spaces, you know, and I don't mean necessarily like, you know, a, a curated little garden or a community garden or anything like that, but like in the street, they're growing um, and striving um, and trying to make it just as much as you are. Uh, and so I think it's a, I think that there's a really powerful metaphor there when using um, those kind of things in magic. Um, you know, location is a really powerful thing to consider as well, especially in a city that's so diverse, like, you know, New Orleans or New York, where you have, you know, all different kinds of, of locations. You have really fancy places. You have places where working people live. You have places where uh, underprivileged people are. These are all different energies that you can avail yourself to. And um, that might mean maybe bringing a stone back from one of these places and working it, you know, maybe, you know, if you're in New York, you fired in a little, um, you know, planter, you find a stone in the planter or some dirt from the planter and you work that for, for some money magic, you know, um, 
maybe if you're trying to, you know, overcome very big adversaries, um, you know, picking, picking places that have already seen the energy of people overcoming uh, hardship uh, would be a, a very powerful uh, place to to, to, to source your source some kind of magic from um, you know everyone is always looking for like the abandoned crossroads but there really is something to the frequently used highly trafficked uh, intersections of a city um, you know I sometimes think about the crossroads as the the fiery force that takes messages and ideas across the world. And uh, I think that's really well illustrated in a very busy crossroad as opposed to like, you know, the idyllic, you know, dark, spooky, far away crossroad. <laughs> and, um, you know, so this the idea that like, you know, um, the you know the, the spirits of the crossroad are going to be available at any crossroad, but you know they're going to be translated differently. You know you, um, those spirits are not going to show up to you looking like you know maybe like rural folk, but they'll look just like the people that are that are in those in that space. And um, and sometimes you know considering that that is more important for you. Uh, as a city dweller, it's more important for you to be interacting with those spirits that live in that place as opposed to spirits that live or exist somewhere else. They understand maybe what you're trying to do more because they exist in that space. And those are kind of things that I would uh, that I would definitely suggest as a person who's done magic in a city for a long time. Yeah, you, <laughs> you really have. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, you're so welcome. Last but certainly not least, we are going to get to hear from Shaman Chiron Armand, who has faced this problem in many urban cities in America and some outside. So this is really a chance to hear an international perspective. It's hard because I'm from an urban environment, so it's hard for me to think about what is not urban, you know, specific to urbanness. That's but I, I guess I think about the city or I think about access. Obviously, politically, there's always the conversation of who has access and who doesn't. But um, there's the issue of making use with of like everything that's around you. You know, you're at a diner and you've got honey packets and jam packets and salt and pepper. Like there's, you know, really bringing yourself down to the bare, you know, it's almost crazy to say the bare bones when you're in a city, but if you're really poor in the city, then you know what bare bones are and you can work with those bare bones like, you know, the honey packet at the local diner, like the, the multiple crossroads that you have available um, to conjure up a new reality for yourself, to engage those spirits, which are now, you know, in a, in a more, more rural environment, those spirits might be you know, few and sparse and local and regionally specific, but now you've got this insane cosmopolitan crossroads of so many spirits to engage with, so many that it can actually be daunting and distracting to a certain extent if one isn't careful, um, but make use of that. There's no reason in an urban environment to feel alone or isolated spiritually or to feel like you don't have something that you a power source to tap into you're surrounded by a million of them 
Fantastic. What would you say, what would your best advice be about working with land spirits in the city environments? Uh, I would say make um, regular offerings, not only to the spirits of the land, but to the spirits of the city, um, the spirits of the city that you're in, also to uh, local environments. You know, if you're by a river or uh, near a hill, uh, making those kinds of offerings and also studying some of the indigenous history. Uh, I know that, you know, if you're in New York, we have the maps of the uh, indigenous trails that turned into, you know, the different avenue, Nostrand Avenue, and the different, you know, avenues and streets that we now, you know, see tons and tons of cars going up and down. So studying those histories is, I think, really powerful and important as well. Um, at a certain point, my own practice, when I was living in New York, I would be giving food offerings to my uh, ancestors and to the land, and then I would leave those food offerings outside by a tree. And within a couple of months, I realized that the local wildlife, because there is wildlife there, was totally um, sort of being taken to me. Like they lay like possums and stuff stopped being afraid of me. They just, it felt like my local block knew that I was one of the quote unquote good ones. And that I received messages and signs from them because they knew that I was deeply engaged uh, simply because I was leaving offerings to my own spirits that they were able to themselves consume. Wow. Thank you so much, Kai. Thanks for having me. So that just about wraps up our segments on urban witchcraft, modern solutions for these urban issues and spell work. I did want to tell everyone that tomorrow, August 27th, Tuesday, I will be offering free readings for one hour in Manhattan. So to find out where that location is, you have to follow me on Instagram at Blue June Tarot and watch my stories when I post on Tuesday morning. I also have a class coming up on the cups. We are going to nerd out about all the symbology for three hours straight and just kind of go over all of the entire suit of cups, every little detail of it. So if you're interested in nerding out with us, the class is $30. It's from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. on September 6th, the first Friday of September. You can book that class on my website under booking. Just look for the cups class. Uh, you can also check out other classes I have coming up under the classes tab. So I hope to see you there and stay mystic, witches. Be sure to subscribe to mystic witch on any of your favorite platforms. And you can show your support by contributing monthly at anchor.fm or on our Patreon page. Follow us on social media to hear exclusive audio clips from our guests at Mystic Witch Podcast.